Welcome, and might I say, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to all of you out there. I have with us right now on the Internet Advisor Tech Roundtable, three of my favorite people, Gary Baker, the original Internet Advisor with us. Gary, how are you doing? A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Ed Riddell, good to have you here. Oh, always great, especially when I'm on vacation and holidays. This is great. I, I hear we uh, actually were able to pull you away from a um, <clears throat> a very important job at home. Well, well you, you know, when when I find myself at home, I, I have a honeydew list like everyone else. Yep, yep, yep. So I was uh, putting in a basement uh, bathroom. Very and, and you know, I'm a handyman not only with computers, but I know how to use a torch and a welder, and <laughs> and uh, you know, I can use a hammer and nail. So I'm putting in a bathroom downstairs. So uh, excellent, man, a mad jack of all trades. Also with us tonight is uh, Kurt Hines, who's filling in for uh, Cal Carson, who was off uh, enjoying some holiday entertainment. Kurt, thank you for joining us this evening. Happy to be here as always. You know, Ed, that torch could come in handy on some uh, computers as well, I think. <laughs> you know, I agree. There are some times where it's just, it's just too much. You just want to just dump them. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Here, what we're going to do this evening, uh, folks, is we are going to look back at 2010 uh, tonight. And then uh, next weekend, we're going to look ahead because we will be officially into the new year with uh, our taping next Sunday night uh, into 2011. But this year, we want to look back at 2000. And, 10. and um, each one of us has got some things that we've identified from the past year that we want to focus on. Gary, why don't you start off with uh, your first uh, take a look to the back? Well, you know, there are all sorts of very important things that have happened in 2010, but I found a great site called the Weirdest and Wackiest and Stupidest Sci-Tech <laughs> Stories of 2010. And I have to tell you, there's some, I agree, there are some that are really off the wall. <laughs> but, you know, but some of these we should be paying attention to. For instance, Google has a self-driving car. They've driven over 140,000 miles oh with goodness. no one in the car. Wait, it I thought that was just a concept. Normal streets. I nope. That's a, that actually driven, is Started out and is driving all over San Francisco, down Peninsula to Santa Monica, uh, Hollywood Boulevard, back up to the near the Golden Gate Bridge, across the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, down, you know what? They say they've done gone down Lombard Street. Now I've gone oh, down no, Lombard no, no. Street. <laughs> I think they're talking about going from from Hyde Street down the other way towards the Marina District. I think but, so. And for uh, those of you who don't know Lombard Street, it is a literal snake zigzags back and forth as it comes down from which one of the, I forget which one of the hills, maybe Russian Hill. Well, it's right up by Hyde Street and Lombard. Ah, okay. And, and it, it's famous for being these incredible switchbacks. They claim the car actually went down then? Well, no, no. They're saying down the other, they're just oh, saying I down Lombard okay. Street, so probably down the other <laughs> way, I'm guessing. But, you know, there are all sorts of other uh, things as well. We actually point to uh, 25 of these stories that uh, CIO Magazine has accumulated. So you can go to our site, internetadvisor.net, uh, and get the whole list. A couple others that I found interesting. It must have been a slow slow news day because they <laughs> they even listed Gates dancing on a table at Sunday <laughs> Film Festival. <laughs> so, okay, so that's maybe not so weird. Or maybe it is. Who knows? Uh, and then the uh, the white 
iPhone 4, right? <laughs> Everybody is talking about it. It's supposed to be coming out, but they've been seen in the wild. And there's a couple stories about that as well. well. Uh, Gary, I pardon you. I loved about that was the uh, the graphic they used of it was uh, from Moby Dick with uh, you know, the <laughs> with Captain Ahab at the bow ready to harpoon the white iPhone. <laughs> well, you, you know what's funny with that is is the uh, best and worst uh, celebrity technology moments of 2010, and it was the uh, Ellen DeGeneres moment. Oh yes. Where where she basically did a spoof on the Apple uh, iPhone commercials, and then she had to do an apology a couple of days later. No. Apple, because Apple doesn't have a sense of humor about certain things. whatsoever. That oh. was hilarious when it talks about <laughs> Apple's and, and and basically iTunes to or AT and T's monopoly they basically have with the with the iPhones, and then the poor coverage and the reception. And Ellen just nailed it. <laughs> it was hilarious. Well, and another story was the Newsday um, ad that a guy oh, picks yes. up the iPad and he uses it like a rolled up newspaper to swat a fly. And of course, <laughs> that was hilarious. You know, and of course, it just bla- you know blasts all over the place, breaks the glass, blah blah blah. Apple <laughs> somehow convinced him, you know, again, not not. You know, very fun lobbying here, but uh, Apple convinced them to take it off the air, and all of a sudden they were gone. Oh, that is a shame. I tell you, the one that I um, I thought, well, since we're picking on Apple, uh, <laughs> Cal's not here tonight, so we're free to do that. Uh, it was the one where it, it talked about the Steve Jobs bobblehead doll or the doll. <laughs> it was taken off the market. It had what, an iPhone in its hand. It, that was a hoot. Absolute hoot. But one I thought that, Ed, you would love, because you're a big scout man. And, and, mm-hmm. and as a matter of fact, Gary, you have a, a Cub Scout in your family now, don't you? Uh, no, no. I have a Boy Scout. Oh, in he's fact, a Boy Scout now. He's going to be a Life Scout wow. uh, in uh, two months. He's got, he's got all his requirements done. He's just got to wait for six months. Congratulations. How old is he? He's uh, 12. 12 and a half. Gary, this is slipping by too fast. I remember when your oldest child was, what, five, and she was on the air with us in those way back in the dark ages of the Internet Advisor. And she is now a freshman at the of M. Oh, my goodness. Well, the the thing I was kidding about, Ed, is under those, um, uh, the weirdest and wackiest stories, there is now actually a badge for video gaming for Cub Scouts. A belt loop. Yeah, Scouts, Cub Scouts get, or Weeblos get belt loops, so it's got a belt loop. Incredible. You know what, you know, and it, and it makes sense because you got to keep the kids involved and, um, you know, current (laughs) technologies. I mean, how many kids do whittling now? I mean, instead of sitting around with a knife and, and whittling down, uh, spears and, you know, arrows and stuff like that, they're playing video games. We have to, we have to avoid lawsuits, you know, don't be whittling down (laughs) spears. Well, Eddie, since we have you, uh, what's one of the things you look back on the 2010 at? Um, you know, one of the things I missed with 2010 was the introduction, of course, with Windows 7, and then you had the um, Windows, um, in, I'm sorry, Internet Explorer 8. Yes. And with Internet Explorer 8, um, what, we, what a lot of us missed was the ability uh, of the additional filtering that Microsoft provided, basically um, safe websites to visit. It's called um, smart screen filtering. Oh. And by default, this is turned off with an Internet Explorer 8. And you could turn it on very easily. And in the, in the links from this podcast, we'll have a way for uh, to show people how to turn that on. And it's to check websites against, um, you know. Um, like a blacklist? You know, 
Yeah, like a blacklist of websites and check, uh, it checks the software that's been downloaded. Uh, it basically it's preventive against, uh, malware. Boy, that is extremely important because a lot of the, the viruses that you guys handle out there, Kurt, I'm going to guess that you, you see this as well in cleaning people's computers up. A lot of them come from these drive-by downloads. They, the, the, it, it really comes from websites nowadays. Every, almost every virus I see, it got downloaded from a website. So as browsers wow. get better at blocking those, I think I'll be seeing a lot less viruses. I think people will be a lot safer. Excellent. That's yeah, and, that, and, and that's yeah, an excellent you, point. And because, you know, uh, a lot of people are switching to Firefox and other mm-hmm. web browsers like the Google Chrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Internet Explorer is still very important. And with Internet Explorer 9, was, which was released in 2010, um, they, they included better filtering. Yeah. And it basically blocks about 99%, according to this article that is referenced again in this podcast, 99% of all malware wow. on the websites. And, you know, there's a lot of websites that are, you know, they don't intentionally put this. Their websites are hijacked and their yep. advertisements. Yep. 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 Are hijacked. Yes. You know, I, I know a lot of people that just go to like, um, and I hate to pick out any one site, but they'll go to like Yahoo Cars, autos mm-hmm. sales, and they'll get infected because the advertisements for that website be- are um, uh, has been hijacked. Been hijacked. Right? Wow. That's so that, why you see a lot of people doing ad blocking, even strictly for the security benefits of it. Wow. Right. And well, then, you know, so that, that's something that we've missed right, right. in 2010 was the introduction of the IE9 beta and this feature within Internet Explorer 8, which shipped with Internet Explorer 7, uh-huh. or I'm sorry, with Windows 7, the, the ability to turn on the smart screen filtering. Okay. And again, folks, we'll have a, a link to that in the show notes. Gary, you were going to say something. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to uh, say that, you know, another thing that we point to is uh, the best and worst celebrity technology moments of 2010, Mm -hmm. and um, McAfee comes out and says, look, Cameron Diaz, people that search on Cameron Diaz has a very high likelihood that sites that they're going to find have been infected by a virus, one in three chance of landing on a malicious web page, right? So, you know, as we... uh, (laughs) <laughs> you know, as we get better and better in figuring these out and blocking them, that will certainly blocking yeah, them will yeah. help. But at least we now have some information and can track. This I, it it used to be, I used to be Britney Spears that was the bait, or what's his name, Justin? Who's Justin it? Bieber? Justin yeah. Bieber. Yeah. Yes, for the girls would be the uh, <laughs> would be the the target of choice. But uh, you're right, it's that social engineering aspect. And and so, Eddie, what you're saying, and I had no idea about that, I'm going to very quickly look into that on um, this Windows platform that I'm working on right now and make sure that it's enabled. Uh, and thank you very much for that link. Kurt, how about you? What's something that you look back on uh, 2010 for? Well, I know what I've really noticed is the massive kind of change in the book landscape with uh, e-books. Mm. I think have really come into their own in 2009. Or 2010, rather, you saw a huge price war a few months ago, where ebook readers dropped from about 250 to now the entry level Kindle starts at 140. Uh, and e- ebooks themselves, the actual ebook files, have skyrocketed in sales. Um, I think I just saw the stat they're at 9% of consumer book sales. And Amazon actually sells more Kindle books than hardcover books, uh, <laughs> which is what incredible. astonished me is that wow. more people are buying on the Kindle than buying the hardcover. Because um, hardcovers to me have always been what a book is, that big yeah, right. book that last stands the test of time. Right. And I know I just recently myself got a Kindle, and I'm liking it. It's really convenient. Really? I don't think I'll, I won't give up the physical book, right. uh, but I do like the convenience of having that ebook reader. And well, I and, and, 
And, and you know what I find so funny about that is I went up north and visited a used bookstore, and I was looking at the science fiction book section because mm-hmm. I'm a big sci-fi reader mm-hmm. yep. and a fantasy reader, and yeah, that is the smallest section in the bookstore. And the reason why is is the guy said that the science fiction fiction readers are the ones that tend to keep their books and uh-huh. and 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 create a library at home and they refuse to give them up and <laughs> you would think these are the ones that would embrace the technology no. and go with the ebook readers <laughs> but it's just the opposite Jerry, the Jerry you're going to make a comment on that go ahead i was just going to say that it uh it, they don't put them in their backpack and try to to get on their bicycle and ride to school every day <laughs> right the kids just love this i mean it's it's really really light I, to have an ebook. No, I, let me ask you that question because, uh, first of all, the two of you, uh, you have kids who are in teens. Gary, you, um, and Ed, you are a teenager, and, and Kurt, you're close enough to that generation. Uh, are you seeing the younger? Uh, like, uh, are you two guys, Gary and Ed, seeing your kids really taking on to the ebook? I see a lot of other kids do it. Um, Justin is trying to build up his strength, and uh, and he's been carrying the books. <laughs> I, uh, if, he, if he carried the ebook reader, he'd have to put weights in the backpack anyway. <laughs> I just had a conversation with my brother yesterday. He goes to Western Michigan, yeah, uh, and he gets all a lot of. He doesn't really have books anymore. A lot of them they give out course packs, right. and uh, he's telling me at Western almost all that stuff is available to an ebook format uh, to download to your Kindle, or your iPad. Um, and he's seeing a lot of his friends are kind of getting rid of the books and just going to the ebooks. You know, school books themselves. You know, I have to wonder about that because ebooks are really just catching on within the last two years, and we're going to see within what what's going to happen in the next. You know, how long does a platform last? Does mm-hmm. it last two years? Does it last three years? And what the backlash is going to be at the three-year period when a person realizes that their ebook has become obsolete? Yeah. Right, or they have a difficulty transferring to the next platform, mm-hmm. whatever that's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering what type, what the backlash is going to be. Yeah, on that, that. That do you a- really think so, Ed, or do you think it'll be just like all of the other technology where they have an upgrade path? You know, I'm hoping there's going to be an upgrade path. But what happens when you get a crash, and how do you prove that you've purchased this book? Are we going to have things from various sources? Uh, that's you know? a good point. Yeah, are we going to, are we going to have kind of a, a, a weeding out process though, like we did when when uh, was it beta and uh, I'm thinking the video formats uh, VHS and beta uh, VHS and beta came in and we've had other things like uh, well, plasma versus LCD screens and TVs. Is there kind of a basic weeding out process that goes on? You don't lose the content, but a certain platform becomes more dominant than others. No, I don't think so, and and here's why. You just named hardware changes and uh, hardware differences, mm. and what we're talking about is a difference in format, EPUB or, or yeah. IPUB or AMZ for Amazon. These are all just formats, software formats, very similar to um, if you take a CD. Remember when we had the um, – R plus or the R negative CDs. Oh yes. Well, those yeah. were just really that was the 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 hardware and the disc were the same. It was just the software that read them, and you can not completely accurate, but pretty accurate. Um, so today, I think you're just going to see a number of readers that will be able to be multi-platform. Oh okay, okay. Do you? Well, I, I thought I had seen uh, along the lines of what you were saying though. I uh, just to. To honest, for a bunch of moment more, is, wasn't there a move or a push for a a universal? Um, what would I say? Like an open platform 
uh, e-publishing format. Am I right? Did I see that? Well, there. I mean, EPUB is kind of in the standard um, for eBooks. Mm-hmm. What you've seen is um, all, all the readers work great with EPUBs except the Kindle. Kindle uses its own format. Okay. Uh, but you can easily convert any non-DRM file to on uh, any of the players. I use a, a software called Calibre that I give them my ebook files that instantly converts it to anything I need. Oh wow! Um, there you go, Ed. The only, That's the answer. <laughs> the, yeah. So the only downside is if you have DRM, but you're protected. You know, yeah. so if you're buying from the Amazon store, you can't transfer that to your notes. Okay. It's in the Amazon format. I got you. Uh, so the problem that comes in, you've seen this again and again with DRM. What happens when they decide to stop offering that service? So you yes. saw this with Microsoft with music yes. services, and you've seen this multiple times. Mm-hmm. That's when I think the problem hits. By the way, DRM, folks, is digital rights management. It means that there is kind of a lock on it, and yep. uh, you have to have their key to open it up, or you just can't use it anywhere else, as you said. Let's. Uh, uh, I want to uh, throw one in, to, and and for me, uh, one of the big stories of the year that at least uh, kind of tweaked. Maybe it's because I have a, I like sci-fi as well. Um, it was the Stuxnet virus that came out, and. Uh, there have been viruses out for a long time, and some pretty nasty ones. Um, I was around Chrysler <laughs> at the time that one of them came out that just froze us all out of our computers. I forget which one that was, Ed, that came out. In the, oh, well, it could have been the Melissa. Melissa or one of those ones that came out. But anyway, um, the Stuxnet virus, what struck me about it was how specific it was and how devastating the effect of it was and that it was so cleverly engineered that it could even find a way into a walled off um, environment like the Iranian nuclear um, uh, computer environment. Um, And it only affected the centrifuges and only and it sped them up and then slowed them back down and then uh, you know burned them out. So how did it do that? Yeah I know and Internet espionage. Well, what strikes me about this, though, and I I guess I kind of get the willies when I think about this, is this is like a weapons of mass destruction. And and pardon me for maybe this is a wrong analogy, but I think of uh, the atom bomb at the end of World War II, which effectively quickly closed World War II um, with the atom bombs going off in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Incredible devastation. The world just was kind of aghast at, at what could be done. Explosives had been around forever, but this was taking it to an unbelievable level. Matter of fact, so horrific that the rest of the world said, never again. In essence, we, we pray never again. The thing that's going on now is, I see with the Stuxnet, is that something has been let loose here that is so incredibly effective, so incredibly pinpoint um, accurate that it's like this atomic uh, technology. Who knows whose hands it's going to get into? You don't need plutonium grade, uh, you know, weapon grade plutonium for this thing. You just need some clever cyber pirate to make this thing work on somebody else. A counterpoint to that, though, you know, the nuclear bomb. You, you can't, you can't defend against a nuclear bomb. It goes off. It goes off. Right. Um, Stuxnet. There are things that could be done so that you do not, you know, get infected with sucks and other things. And I think what you're going to see, and I think what the most, probably one of the more lasting impacts of this is, is you're going to see in these facilities across the world, the power stations and nuclear power plants, I think they're going to start taking security a lot more seriously and making it much harder for this to happen. Uh, and I think that is hopefully the most important lasting effect of stuff. Yeah. Heaven help us. It's about that time. Go ahead, Ed. You yeah. want to say 
Eddie, no, I wasn't going to say anything. I was just looking for a job. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know if you want to get a job, you know, that's where you want to get into is the yeah. uh, network security. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you're getting at the bad guys before they get at you. So this is both of you have a, have a long career ahead of you, protecting people and cleaning up those kinds of messes. I don't know, Gary. Do you do you see it as as big a, a um, as a significant a, a, a leap in, in virus technology? Well, certainly there's all of that that you mentioned, but let's put this all in perspective mm-hmm. that it was because there was a way in, right? This was not connected to the Internet. The Iranian nuclear um, power plants are not connected to the Internet. They had to have a way into that environment, and it got carried in on a laptop computer that came out, was connected to the Internet, and the virus got put onto that computer, and it got carried in, plugged in. So, again, we have a situation where you still need people to do dumb things in order for this to work. Yeah, uh, it's, it has been uh, – I mean, I, you're right. You're right. I want to move on to some of the other topics. We've got so much to go on here. Um, Gary, one of the things you noted here as a big change was how 2010 check has the tech has changed retail forever. Absolutely. Um, and when you look at it, well, let's go to, you know, e-commerce has been around quite a while, but now we're starting to see m-commerce, mobile commerce. And when you look at things, every, everything from, say, a bar reader, right, a barcode reader, uh, pick to shop, a red laser, red laser, I mean, these are ways you can go into a store you could take your iPhone or your Android and use the camera to read the barcode. Uh, with some of this new technology, it comes up, it tells you all the specifics of the particular product, and it also tells you from where you're standing in a five-mile radius or a ten-mile radius where you can buy that same product and how much. Wow. That's changing retail. And then you start to look at, you know, Sites like Groupon, um, all many, many of the um, retailers today have their own apps. So you can take yeah. and shop online. You could shop in the store. You could be in the store. If they don't have it, you can order it immediately by using your phone. Aisle 411, I'm waiting oh, yeah. for it. Yeah. I am waiting for that <laughs> to really come to the Midwest. It's yeah. as close as Chicago now. But you can walk down the aisle in certain stores, <laughs> and it will tell you where the product is in the aisle. You could, it says, you know, keep going for another 10 feet, turn to your left. It's right there. Here's the price. Put it in your cart. No, put it in the top part of the cart because it's fragile. And you can, you know, go to the checkout stand. Oh, my Lord. Right? I... So, I mean, there's some really great new apps coming for mobile technology. And, of course, what we've seen now just – you know, in in e-commerce, twelve yeah. percent higher than last year. Really, right? I was for this, this I last was year. That. That's what the numbers are indicating: twelve to thirteen percent increase over last year, up to twenty-seven point five billion dollars being done online this holiday season about, alone. I was about to ask you, you know, is this just, you know, more toys for geeks? You know, like the the four of us, you know, we can kind of, you know, chuckle There's up. There's not that many geeks. $27.5 <laughs> <billion. laughs> There's a lot of people shopping online today. Wow. The neat thing, too, is about 55% of all of the transactions that happened over the last few weeks 
uh, were shipped free, shipped gratis, right? Almost every online retailer today has a free shipping option of some sort. You, I, you know something that's interesting you mentioned that because I did exactly that um, with an online uh, uh, company as well that's been around for a long time and uh, no shipping charges at all whatsoever. Uh, Ed, do you use any of these tools or could you see yourself using any of these tools? You know, I wish, you know, yeah, and, <laughs> and uh, a lot of it is, you know, I mean, I have a lot of friends that use it and um, it's hard to say, you know, uh, am I willing to drive that extra mile out of the way yeah. once I'm in the store to save a couple bucks? You know, don't know. I kind of wonder what this will do to mom and pop stores, you know, and the local stores again. Uh, I guess that was the. The concern beforehand, Gary, when you and I started way back when talking about that, what's this going to do to the local stores? And you know, it, 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 it's, it's had an impact. Um, well, I us. think if you look at like what Groupon does, that's helped a lot of like local small outlets. Right. Oh, how does that work? And explain that to me because I'm not familiar with Groupon. So Groupon is essentially it's this new trend of group buying mm-hmm. where um, they have a Groupon.com publishes a deal every day for your area. And the deal's only active if X number of people get that deal. So, um, oh. they're, they're, so let's say that they have a deal at the ice cream shop. Uh-huh. If you commit to buying that deal, it only becomes active if, I'll say, 100 people buy that deal. Um, and it's a great deal. So let's say it, uh, I get an ice cream cone for $2 instead of $4. Mm-hmm. Um, and I go ahead and, like, that's a great deal. I love ice cream. I'm going to go buy that. And that drives a lot of business to those local shops. And you tend to see, if you follow Groupon, the, the business they have all tend to be local, you know, one excellent. or two shops. They're not really big businesses. They're the local small businesses. Well, that's excellent. I'm and they're getting a lot of business out of this. Uh, and it's, it's all about using it properly. Just like it helps the big guys, I think it can really help the small guys. Let, yeah. let me use this as part of a – excuse me, Gary, you were going to say something. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say there's all sorts of ways that even small companies uh, can start to use apps and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, but, but the large companies are, are jumping on first because it makes just so much sense. Anytime I walk into a Best Buy, um, my phone goes off and it tells me all the, the um, <laughs> uh, you know, all the coupons, all the deals, all the sales that are in the store today. What's, what's the, what is the app that, that does that for you? It's the Best Buy app. The Best Buy? Just download it for free. Wow. Just download it for free, and it tells me. Now, what it doesn't do is it doesn't tell me, you know, go straight in, turn left. (laughs) But it will. And this is why why the the iPhones are going to take over the, you know, um, the world, all these, it's the app store. Well, and, you know, and yeah, then yeah, Apple said basically they're going to release an app store for the Macintoshes possibly in 2011. Well, January, you know, what I heard it's, very January, soon. It's, it's happening. From what I hear, it's happening. But you guys are leading into exactly what I was going to talk about, and we've already been talking about it, which for me, looking back in 2010, was the growth of the app stores. And Ed, I'd say, and I, I just had my hand on some um, um, Android uh, uh, phone. We were, I was in an AT&T store today, and I picked up uh, the Samsung Galaxy Tab. Uh, yes. Just uh, beautiful. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit more. But uh, what, what I was and and you should mention Foster that. Uh, the Android now is outselling the iPhone. Mm-hmm. It, it is, but you know, I'm just wondering about the the interface for you know the 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 um, the ability to, to to buy and get all these free applications. Is there a you central can get them on the repository? Android. Yes, but is there a central repository? Like there's, there's an official app store, but there's also outside app stores. Right. So in the iPhone ecosystem, there's just the one. Yeah. 
And the Android ecosystem, you have the Google App Store and you have the uh, the Android Marketplace. Mm -hmm. And then you have a bunch of other third-party ones that are out there. See, my sense is that that is a significant point, is that all of these app marketplaces that are appearing, and it feeds into what each the three of you have been talking about. Gary, the app that you got for Best Buy, and Ed, you're talking about the iPhone's ascendancy up until recently, but now with Android coming in, Gary, as you said, you know, we're seeing that these apps are appearing in a whole bunch of places. For instance, now we've got a web OS coming out, which is the old Palm system. Right. Uh, apparently, HP is, has done something with them. I saw a couple of devices, at least, in the AT&T store that run the web. And, the, and Palm, <laughs> way back when, uh, I think uh, they were the, the granddaddy of them all in terms of the place that you went to find all these wonderful little programs that you could put onto your phone um, that I remember putting onto my uh, Palm uh, my Palm Pilot, uh, and onto my Palm phone. But I really think this App Store phenomenon is is extremely significant and probably one of the biggest things that I've seen growing in 2010 precisely because of all the different kind of cool applications it gives your mobile devices. Just focus down to the narrowest niche, like, for instance, Gary, you said, to Best Buy as a, as a corporate tool. And I think that this is uh, a fascinating... And, also, I, one of my favorite apps right now is Evernote, which I am using for all sorts of things. Whether it's in church, I'm taking notes during the sermon on it on my <laughs> iPhone. Uh, or it could be, uh, you know, um, I, I have uh, all sorts of medications that I take. And when I go into the doctor, i got to have a list of them. I created an Evernote, and I have it there that I can, you know, call up at any point in time when I go into a doctor's office, and boom, their medications are there. But the apps are just incredibly, incredibly important, um, and I think it's growing. Uh, Gary, you mentioned the fact that Android is um, has now out is outselling um, the iPhone. I think one of the significant things there is there are so many different flavors of Android out there. And that I've heard that one of the problems is that the different vendors, like for instance, a Verizon or uh, you know T-Mobile or or AT&T, are you you don't get the pure Android experience. Right, they lock it down and yeah. prevent you from use, installing those free applications. Right, there are certain things that they simply won't let you use. Kurt, go ahead. Well, uh, the, the I think the 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 big things you have are you have where they put their own interface on top of Android. Some of which are okay, some of which aren't, and they're just usually behind in the um, upgrade. So Google just came out with uh, Gingerbread, which is the newest version of the operating system. Right. Uh, but it won't be coming out on any phones for another two or three months, except the Google Nexus S, which just got released, which right. actually is one of the is the only phone that carries the stock Android operating system, which I'm looking at getting, precisely because it's stock. So I know as soon as Google upgrades it, I can get the same upgrade. Uh, and it doesn't have any of the extra, I mean, junk, for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. that the cell phone carriers will put on their, mm -hmm. their Android phones. Mm. And, and don't you think the market's going to drive to a much more open environment? I hope so. I really do. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you, the, I don't know if the market can act purely in this sense because you're limited by your cell phone provider or your contract length. Um, and you know, there, it's not it's not entirely unencumbered as a marketplace. Good so point. the the Google Nexus S is only available on T-Mobile, uh, yeah. which means if you don't have good T-Mobile service or if you're locked in a contract right, right. with a carrier, it's not really an option. Mm. Right. And you know, a lot of my tech friends at work say the same thing: is uh, you have to go directly with the Google Google's uh, direct release phones if you want to get a, the the pure right. phone without you know the um, 
the vendor interfering with you getting the updates, getting the uh, applications. Yeah, like for instance, I mean, some phones I've heard could use uh, voice activation, but some of the carriers have uh, gated that. Am I right in some cases? I, I thought I had heard that in any yep, case. Yep. Uh, Kurt, let's talk about something that, that, that you identified, and uh, we've been kind of skirting around it, and, uh, and that is the, the launch of this new market category. Yeah, what I found, and I guess when the iPad specifically has become such a part of our culture already, it's hard to believe that it just came out in April. <laughs> it has not it is, been a, it is, you're right. That's it. It's right. It's only been out since April, but it's become such a part of our culture already. <laughs> That it seems like it's been around much longer, but now it's just finally that other manufacturers are starting to come up. Uh, on the uh, in the studio a few weeks ago, we had Microsoft gentlemen in showing us the new Microsoft tablet. Uh, Android is you know probably ahead of the game as far as catching up because the Android OS is already ready to go. So mm-hmm. it's just a matter of adapting it to tablet form. I think we're going to see a lot of Android tablets in in eleven. Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead, Foster. Uh, go ahead, Gary, you were going to say something. Kurt, I was just going to say, you know what it's really done, I think, is it's killed the netbooks. Yes. You yes. know, if you want a yeah, small, right. if you want a small, uh, low-end computer, you're going to buy a small, low-end computer. You're not right. going to buy a netbook. Right. If you were thinking about buying a netbook, you're going to tablets today, and the iPad is, is the first one. But I do think that there will be other tablets, but I, I think that uh, we're seeing the end of the netbook. Gary, I'm going to tell you this. Excuse me, Kurt, but I just being in an AT&T store today, uh, they had a Dell netbook out there. I believe, if my eyes were not deceiving me, there was like $39 for the Dell netbook. Oh, my <laughs> word. But when you, when you look at it. I wonder now, how but, many they could sell at that price. Well, but the, <laughs> the point is, though. Contracts. They, they have to. They have had to slash the prices on these things. Yeah. Oh, you're right, Kurt. That is a you know, to your contract with the thing. But the point is, they've had to slash the prices on these things because these tablets. I picked up and I had that Galaxy, uh, the Samsung Galaxy the tab. Uh, tab in my hand. It was stunning, absolutely stunning, and I can see why people are so excited. Now, the price point is ludicrous. You're paying 600 and some odd dollars, even with a two-year contract, for something that's half the size of the, um, the iPad, but I still think that when I had that form factor in my hand, I think that's going to be, despite Steve Jobs poo-pooing it <laughs> earlier on, I think it's going to be a very significant factor coming up in the new year. Well, yeah, but you, you have to remember. Point. You have to remember. Remember the trios when they first came oh, yeah. out, the Palm yeah. trios. Yeah, the Palm trios. The list price in those, six hundred bucks. You're right. Yep. You're right. And the same price as the iPad. Right. Yep. Yep. It starts that high. It's going to get lower. That's. I mean, the. I've been amazed. They sold so many at the price point they're at right oh, now. Imagine yeah. when they build that price down two years in from now, when they're able to get that price point and the components cost so much less. Just imagine how many of them they're going to sell. I know I have a netbook, and I'm looking at getting an iPad when the next iPad comes out, iPad 2, just because I can see the use for it. Oh, absolutely. I was uh, looking at, in in terms of sales, and and just a few, I haven't got the figure right in front of me, but I think it was like over 8 million iPads. Oh, here, uh, over 8 million iPads were sold up to Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And the Galaxy, uh, the Samsung Galaxy Tab, I think that they've sold a million of them in the first two months. And again, that's it. These incredible prices. The early adopters are willing to put out a lot of money for this stuff. I think you're seeing some people who are getting them possibly instead of computers. I have some clients who are maybe elderly or not doing 
uh, haven't really used computers before, and I'm saying, you know what, I think an iPad is better for you than actually a computer uh, because of the ease of use and how for what certain restricted needs that are needed, I think they work great. Exactly. Hey, guys, let's jump off to another subject. And, Ed, you were the one who uh, introduced us to this uh, content. Or, actually, Kurt had talked about it as well. And that is some of the amazing things people are doing with something that Microsoft developed this year. Yep, Microsoft released uh, uh, the Connects, which was a basically a stereoscopic imaging or uh, basically yeah, imaging device for the Xbox 360, right. and it was meant to enhance the gameplay. I mean, with, within just a few days, the damn thing was hacked, <laughs> and uh, and it wasn't really hacked so much as that people developed drivers for it to work with yeah. other systems like Linux and Windows 7. Which is saying, and, and excuse me, I just the, the Kinect, by the way, folks, is that um, is the <clears throat> controller for the Xbox that works on. Your own, your body is the is the tool. You don't have to have like with the Wii a little Correct. wand it's, or it's, other things. It's an interface for the Just gameplay it. for the Xbox 360. Right. Right. And um, and like I said, it's a USB interface for the device. And people have come up with some crazy ways of using this. And and um, some of them were you know night vision. I mean, so after they got it working with Linux systems and uh, Mac systems mm-hmm. as well as um, you know Windows 7 systems, they they also developed software so that it they enhanced it so that you can do 3D imaging, um, night vision, multi-touch, so that you can do basically you can control your computer with your hand gestures. And if you can remember the uh, Minority Report movie that uh, starred Tom Cruise, where he was basically using hand gestures to control a virtual environment and uh, with all these different monitors. I mean, that's what they're talking about with this stereoscopic interface. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I mean, Microsoft may release this for games, but but the ingenuity yeah, yeah, of of yeah. the people out there is just incredible. I, I and and Kurt, you had mentioned this before. But I think shortly after we saw the story about that, this may be, I think, in some ways, one of the biggest stories of this this past year in terms of what that the not because of uh, the Xbox, but. All the other things Ed, that this is made possible and and will make possible with just the human gestures, uh, it's an incredible, mm-hmm. incredible story. Uh, and I, I, I think we we have not even begun to scratch the surface of what this might do. Hey, I want to get to something because we're getting along here. I'm enjoying. This has been a ball looking back at the past year. But one thing that that did come up near the end of the year was a story actually has been going on all year long. Was the story of WikiLeaks and Kurt? You had a particular uh, perspective on it as you look back. Yeah, I mean, so everyone for WikiLeaks, I'm sure everyone knows by now. It's that organization that's been getting secret anonymous leaks, usually of government officials, and just opening it up to the public. You know, they firmly believe that transparency is really important, and they're going to force governments and companies into it. Um, But what I found most interesting on WikiLeaks is not necessarily WikiLeaks itself, but how it's enabled and how I think that story will continue. You know, WikiLeaks works because of the open structure of the Internet. Anyone can send anyone anything anonymously. And then they're able to get a group of volunteers all over the world who come together and make this happen. And now we're spinning off – you have OpenLeaks spinning off, which is going to make leaks kind of, whereas WikiLeaks is a central organization, mm-hmm. uh, OpenLeaks is meant to let anyone accept a, a leaks anonymously. And I think you're going to see this forcing of transparency upon uh, governments and companies who may not want it, but they're going to have to deal with it. Um, it's one of those things that think the genie's out of the bottle, and I think mm-hmm. the next year will be very interesting watching how they react to that. So, Kurt, how do we tell 
what's true and what's not. Yeah. If anybody can contribute, aren't we? Yeah. Aren't we now looking at Wikipedia again? Where well, you I look think, at it and you go, wow, this is really good information. I wonder if it's true. Mm-hmm. Well, I think mm-hmm. what you've seen happen with WikiLeaks, uh, I think you can probably tell it's true by everyone in, in insulating denouncing WikiLeaks for releasing the information. <laughs> but, when, uh, but when it's open, yeah, right? so and anybody can, can yeah. post anything. I think the same way that, you know, the newspaper reporters have done throughout the decades is you verify. Once you have a bit of information, you can find something to back it up. Um, and so I think it's the exact same thing. Newspaper reporters have been getting anonymous leaks for decades, and they've had to back them up, and they've had to double source them. So I think you'll see the same things going on. Um, and I think that's important because you saw in, it was uh, South Korea, I believe, or Pakistan, rather, a fake WikiLeak was published in a newspaper caused a huge scandal. Um, someone had said, oh, this is a WikiLeak published in a newspaper and caused a huge scandal because it wasn't real. Yeah, and what they did was they checked three other sources, and all those sources came from the same original yep. source yep. that mm-hmm. wasn't true. Yep. And so that's how do you know? So how do you know? You know, and, and with newspapers, we used to have an editor-in-chief who essentially was the one that, if there's a word used a lot now, curated, who, or, who stood on top of it and said, show me your sources. And, and, and let's make sure they're discrete sources. Exactly. And, and they were professionals that were gathering these yep. this and information. We, it wasn't just everybody out there left to their own devices. Yep. I don't know, though. If you look at Wikipedia, every study I've seen has shown that generally across the board, it's just as reliable as a standard encyclopedia. Um, I think there's this fear that, oh, you know, these people are lying to us. But when we've looked at the history of Wikipedia, uh, and I know there's been many studies on it testing you know, I think that I saw one a few years ago that there was 2.3 errors per Wikipedia article, and the standard encyclopedia article had 2.3 errors as well. And I think that's telling mm-hmm. that maybe that this curated, that the internet curating as a whole can be just as good as one editor on high curating. Well, Kurt, you bring up a point that I've said um, for a very long time now, which is facts change all the time. It's our belief system that doesn't change, but facts change all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? Tell me the significance of that, Gary. Well, I mean, we're seeing that right now over the last uh, number of months. Uh, there's, uh, they're trying to rewrite some of the history textbooks down in Texas. <laughs> right? They're, Texas putting, changing, they're changing the facts, <laughs> right? right? It's been a long time before, you know, some of the adults in, in Texas would tell their kids that they're not the largest state in the union anymore. <laughs> right? So, so you know, it's uh, – you, you know, facts do change. Eddie, uh, we're getting near the end of our program, but I want to make sure we haven't left you out of the conversation. Uh, if there's something else that you wanted to add into it. No, not nothing about the WikiLeaks. It's just uh, it'll be interesting to see where it, where it comes. I mean, especially with the reduction of, um, you know, the printed material, newspapers, and more and more people turning to the Internet. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be like a, almost like a self, um, you know, they're going to have to – it was a self-policing type mm-hmm. of environment, and it's it's not going to be next day. It's going to be within the next you know thirty minutes. People are going to be you know uh, the immediacy. Reviewing. Yeah, the immediacy of it is yeah. is one of the key things. Well, final thing: sounds we hope we will never hear again after two thousand ten. <laughs> Anybody got any candidates for that? I have. <laughs> Go ahead. The Vuvuzela. The Vuvuzela. Ah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'd almost forgotten about that. <laughs> and on that note, I think we'll wrap things up here for the Internet Advisor Tech Roundtable. Guys, thank you so much for being here for this. Next weekend, your homework will be to take a look into 2011. We will be just stepping into the brand new year, and I'll be looking forward to your predictions. Gary Baker, thanks so much for being with us tonight. My pleasure. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Eddie Rudell, thanks so much for being here. Have a good holiday. Thank you. Thank you. And, Kurt, thanks once again for joining us. It's been good having you on the program with us here. Thank you so much, and have a great new year. And for the rest of you out there, thank you for joining us. And please do go to internetadvisor.net, and right there you'll see the show notes and links to the different things we've been talking about. Have a very safe, safe new year, and we will see you in the brand new year on our next Internet Advisor Tech Roundtable.